All right, good morning. Welcome to New Life. Why don't you go ahead and find your seat? That's right, we got some people excited that I'm here. All right, that makes a couple of us. Very good, very good. Well, hi, my name's Dave Cumming. I get to be the campus pastor out at our North Platte location. And it's a joy to be here with you guys today. Uh, Pastor Jeff happens to be out of town, and he's working on a project for the next teaching series. And quite honestly, it's something I think is going to blow you guys away. Uh, But anyways, he invited me to come and speak to you guys today, and he'll be back with us next week. All right, so if this is your first time with us, I want to just let you know we are one church in multiple locations. We have people with us online right now, so I want to say hello to everyone there. They're watching. Maybe they're not able to be in one of our physical locations, but they're with us online, and so welcome to you guys. I also want to say hi to everybody worshiping with us down in the venue, just a a little ways down the hall here. I'm going to be with you guys here at the end of service. And then last but not least, uh, I got to say hi to everybody out there in North Platte. Uh, the campus that I am so proud of, what God's doing, the, the lives that he's transforming, the things that are happening, the, the way that we are just passionate for God, it's, it's awesome. And I just, as a side note, have to let you know, and really this is for Pastor Jeff if he's watching us online right now, that you know, after he or whoever's speaking you know, welcomes North Platte, we always cheer. We're super excited. And yeah, it's like, hey, they didn't forget about us, all right? So we're cheering, usually five, maybe if we're really energetic, 10 seconds or so. And so Pastor Jeff, don't ever make like a really special big announcement right after you welcome North Platte, because we're not going to hear it, all right? You could say, hey, you know, welcome to everybody in North Platte. We just planted another location, We'll have no idea. Or, hey, welcome to everybody in North Platte. Jesus came back last night. We'll have no idea because we're just going to be cheering and super excited. We'll miss it. All right? But anyways, we're, we're here. It's an exciting week at New Life. Uh, why is it exciting? We've got the Global Leadership Summit coming up this week. I am jacked up about this. It's something that has been in planning for months, and it's finally just a few days away, so I'm super excited about that. But it's also a great week at New Life because we're kicking off a new teaching series, one called Campfire. And so when I first heard that we're doing a teaching series called Campfire, I immediately went back to the first time I ever remember sitting around a campfire. I was in elementary school. I was part of the Cub Scouts in Cozad, Nebraska, where I grew up. And we got to go out on a camping trip out to one of the interstate lakes just west of Cozad a little ways. And we got to go camping. Now, my family, we weren't avid campers and still are not avid campers. But I had a ton of fun that, time, that night, that evening, and into the next morning, because I'd never been out there before. I'd never sat around a campfire. I'd never really heard the crackling of the flames, smelled the smokiness of the, the campfire. One of my highlights, or maybe not a highlight, low light, but something I remember, is dropping my hot dog in the dirt and just taking it over to the lake and washing it off and then eating it, Okay. <laughs> So not something I would necessarily like go back and say, hey, do that again, all right? But hey, you know, you're only young once, I guess. So thankfully, I, I can, I'm, I'm still alive and can look back on that. But uh, why, do, why do we do campfires or what's so great about them? You know, campfires is a time where you get to just get away and you get to kind of unplug from the busyness of the world. You get to sit around, hopefully with some people that you like and maybe even love, 
and just tell stories and hang out, encourage one another, laugh. And, and if I'm a part of this campfire, you're going to do s'mores, okay? Because I love my sweets. And, but most importantly, there's just great community that happens around a campfire. Typically, you're out maybe where there isn't much cell phone service at all. And so you're not really around your phone. And instead, you're engaging with one another. You're growing, you're encouraging, you're hearing maybe stories and catching up with people. And so a campfire setting is awesome. And you know, this idea of community and the effect the campfire has, uh, it leaves us refreshed. It leaves us revitalized to come back to the real world, so to speak, to plug back in and, and go about our everyday routine. During this series, the word campfire is really just a metaphor for seeking God's presence. As we talk about a campfire, we're really talking about going after God and God's spirit. Taking time to you know, unplug from all the busyness that we can be trapped by and just seeking him intentionally. Trying to f- discover what his, maybe his uh, plan is for our life or our purpose or staying focused on the mission or just simply seeking his presence because we need him. We need him. You know, when you think about uh, a campfire, nobody sets up a campfire, gets it all going, and then goes and, you know, pitches their tent a mile away or hangs out a mile away. When you light a campfire, what's everybody do? You gather around it. You're faced or you're facing towards the campfire. You're focusing on that. If it's a cold night, you're going to get as close to that campfire as possible. Uh, you know, so close that you have to worry about catching your beard on fire if you're like my brother-in-law, Andy, or uh, maybe even your clothes on fire. You're trying to get close to stay warm. There's a desperation to it. And really, the same thing's true when we intentionally seek God. We gather just like we're gathering today. We posture our hearts so that they're directed towards him. He's our, he's our fire. He's who we're pursuing, who we're trying to get close to. Here at New Life, we have a saying that says, we love you right where you're at, but we love you too much to leave you there because we want you to grow closer to God. I'm glad that I get to serve at a place where people love me enough not to leave me where I'm at today. They encourage me, they challenge me to grow closer and closer to God, to get closer and closer to the campfire. And that's why I love New Life. As we go throughout this series, I want you to, to think about this campfire metaphor and how it can be displayed in, or experienced really in four different ways. You may have a large campfire that you might even call a bonfire, and that's really what we're sitting in right now. If you're in one of our physical venues, you're in a large gathering centered around the bonfire, the campfire of God and his spirit. So that's a large campfire. Why do we do that? We gain inspiration from it. You know, if you're going to be a part of the Global Leadership Summit, you're a part of a massive campfire. Yes, we want to grow as leaders. That's the theme of it. But ultimately, it's to point people to Christ. These large campfires remind us that we're a part of something that's bigger than just ourselves. As we're going to see in a little bit as we dive into today's message, busyness sometimes can isolate us. And leave us feeling like we're all alone in this pursuit of Christ or in this life. And a large campfire helps remind us we're a part of something much, much bigger. Another type of campfire is more of our medium-sized campfires. 
Something that our students go to on Wednesday nights where it's a a certain, a special demographic of people that are like you. Our legacy group here at our Kearney campus, you've got an event this evening and that is a medium-sized campfire. There's great, you know, benefits from being a part of that. There's also then our smaller campfires, things that you find in life group or when you're in a one-on-one relationship with someone that is intentionally coaching you to walk closer and closer to God. Maybe it's an accountability partner that helps strengthen your relationship with God. Those settings are what I would consider a small campfire. And then the last one, which I think is probably the most important, is your solo campfire, where it's just you and the campfire, just you intentionally seeking God and his spirit. All of these campfires have one thing in common, and that they are God-centered. Whether it's the large gathering right now or your personal one-on-one solo campfire with God, it's centered on him, seeking his presence, desiring his will in your life. As we go throughout this series, I think it'd be a good idea for you to really consider your involvement, your participation in every one of those types of campfires. Are you plugging in? Are you connecting? Are you spending time intentionally seeking God? So enough about kind of the series in general. Today, why are we here? Why are we talking about campfires? Today, I, many of you if, you, if you've grown up in America like I have, you've grown up in a society that places so much expectation on being busy. We, we are expected to be busy. We're expected to be going nonstop and just have a million things that we're supposed to accomplish every single day. To the point where, you know, some of us, we get in that trap and think that's where we get our identity from. Or that's a source of pride for us. Is look at how many things I've accomplished today. Look at how busy I am. When somebody asks you, hey, how you doing? What's a common answer? Oh, man, I've just been so busy. I've been so busy. And you kind of are saying it in a way that's like, I'm trying to make it sound like a negative thing, but I kind of inside, I'm actually proud that I can say that I'm busy. But the problem is, living in this society, living with this expectation, causes us to burn out and to live unbalanced lives void of purpose and God's mission. If we're just going all the time where we're busy, 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 it's so easy for us to eventually just run out and be on empty. We get isolated. We want to just give up and, and you know, pack it in and just worry about yourself. That's not God's mission for you. The solution, though, thankfully, is a very simple one. Spending intentional time isolated with God and other believers helps us stay connected to God and balanced in our pursuit of our God-given mission. You know, Jesus is the best example of this, of staying connected to God and carrying out his God-given mission. You know, many times throughout the Gospels, we read about Jesus being very intentional, taking every opportunity he can to be isolated, to spend time with God, to pray, to find rest, to spend time alone with his disciples, pouring into them, encouraging them. I mean, if you think about it, the disciples and Jesus was kind of like the first really good God-centered life group, okay? He spent a lot of time with them. For today, I'm going to focus on two of these accounts, two of these times where Jesus is just busy as busy can be, 
and yet he finds time to connect with God. We're going to be in the book of Mark, which is the second book of the New Testament. It's the oldest book of the Gospels. It was written first, and it was written by a guy named John Mark, or a lot of times just shortened to Mark. And he was writing to a very specific audience when he wrote this book. He was writing to Gentiles living in Rome. So he's trying to appeal to them. He understands the Roman culture was all about power and action. And so he wrote the book of Mark highlighting the power and action of Christ. Now, let me, let me catch you up here. And Mark 1 is where we're going to start today. And before we actually show any scripture on the screen, I just want to kind of set the stage for you. Jesus, in verse 21, is teaching at the synagogue. Okay, if you are a teacher or you know a teacher, you realize how draining and how demanding teaching can be. So he's spending time teaching in the synagogue. In verse 25, a demon-possessed man is brought to him, and Jesus casts out the demon. Later on, after he's done teaching, they go over to a home where Simon, one of his disciples, mother-in-law lives, and she's sick. She's in need of healing. So what's he do? He heals her. On a side note, she then got up and prepared a meal, so I think he might have had some extra motivation to heal her. But he's been teaching. He casts out demons. He heals. And as he's doing all of this, more and more people start hearing about it. You know, they weren't alive in the day of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, but word spread quickly. And so all of a sudden, more and more people are there. They're uh, wanting to be healed or to have more demons cast out. And man, Jesus is busier than you or I have ever been. I think that's safe to say. As busy as we've been sometimes, we've never had the demands placed on us that Jesus had placed on him. But it's interesting, in this book where Mark is highlighting his power and his action, he doesn't just stop with all of the actions that would grab the headlines. Let's take a look and see what Jesus did the following morning. So after he's done his teaching, casting out demons, healing many, many people, let's see what he does the very next day. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39. It says, before daybreak the next morning. Now pause there for a second. How many of you, after you've had an exhausting day, you've done tons and tons of great things, get up the next morning before sunrise? Or how many of you, like me, or especially my wife, not to throw under the bus, but I guess I need to, would want to just sleep in? We think, well, I've done a lot. I deserve it. I, I, I've earned the right to sleep in. But what's he do? He gets up before daybreak the next morning. Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. The the crowd is gathering again, and they're saying, we want you to do what you did for us last night. We want more of you. We We want to see more people healed. We want to learn more from you. But look what Jesus says. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus had a lot of demands placed on him. But what did he do? He was willing to say, no, that's not the plan, guys. I've been called. My mission is to go 
to other towns. So that brings us to the first point today. Campfire time, spending time pursuing Christ does this for us. It teaches us to value God's commands more than the world's demands. Value God's commands more than the world's demands. In this interaction with the disciples, we see Jesus confronted with pressure to go back to the same place. To go back to the same place he was the night before where he was teaching, healing, casting out demons. The disciples wanted him to give in to this pressure from the people to go back and do more good things. It sounds like that's okay. You know, if you you were to just take it out of context, you'd think, well, yeah, that's something you ought to do. Those are good things. But let's look back at Jesus' reply in verse 38. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. That is my mission, to go out to the other towns and to preach to them as well. You see here that Jesus was more concerned with his God-given mission to preach to the other towns, so he chose to move on. By doing so, he impacted an entire region with the good news of Christ rather than just one town. In a sense, he he was telling the disciples, guys, last night I started the campfire here. It's going to burn. It's going to burn brightly because people are hungry. They're passionate. They want more. They're in a good place. This campfire is enough for here. We're going to go and we're going to start planting campfires in other communities so that they can hear the good news as well. Why did he do this? How did he stay on mission, stay focused on what God had given him to do? I trace it back to what Mark says in verse 35. Before daybreak, the next morning. So he could have had every excuse, every reason not to get up. What's he do? He gets up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. This was Jesus having campfire time. This was Jesus saying, I'm going to risk or I'm going to give up uh, resting and, and sleeping in, and I'm going to go pursue God. I'm going to pursue God at a time where other people aren't going to be bothering me. Because you know what? They were up last night, and they're going to be sleeping in. I'm going to go when I don't have any distractions. And I think we can learn a lot from that. You know, people were demanding that Jesus stay. Even the disciples we're trying to give in to this pressure and these demands, and they wanted Jesus to go back and give the people what they wanted. They'd been successful the last night, and they wanted that to continue. But what did Jesus say? He said no. Which right there, you could probably preach an entire message on the power of just saying no and what that can do to prevent you from giving into busyness. But he refused to elevate the demands of the world, demands of the people, even though they were noble demands. He refused to give in to those because he valued God's commands more. He set his sight on God's mission and was not going to let busyness stand in his way of accomplishing the mission. You know, it can be easy for us to fall into this trap of thinking, well, I'm, I'm doing all of these good things. Everything that I'm doing, all that I'm filling my schedule with day in and day out are good things. Why am I getting burned out? Why am I sacrificing all of this stuff, but yet I still feel empty? I feel like I'm running on fumes. Well, listen, sacrifice is not what God values most. 
God values obedience more than he does sacrifice. Let's take a look at 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, to hear a little bit about God's view of obedience versus sacrifice. Just briefly, Samuel is talking to Saul. Saul has made some mistakes in not following God's mission, and he thinks, well, I can make up for it by doing a bunch of good things, and I can sacrifice a bunch, and that's going to you know, earn God's good graces again. But look what Samuel says. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Turn to your neighbor and say, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. We learn here from what God says through Samuel that God doesn't want us to just be busy for him. Even if what we're busy doing is noble and good and and brings positive things from it, that's not what God values. He wants us to be obedient. Busyness isn't going to earn you any rewards in heaven. Busyness isn't going to get you in higher standing with God. Obedience will earn rewards in heaven. I don't know about you, but for me, when I get done on this earth and I go to be with God, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want, to say, I don't want him to say, well, well, you sure were busy. You sure did a lot of good things, but you weren't obedient to me. So how can we steer clear of this trap of busyness? How do we learn to value God's commands over the world's demands? Well, it starts with spending alone time with God regularly. Spending time around a campfire with other believers regularly. You'll never know God's commands unless you spend time seeking them. You'll never know what God is commanding you to do, what he wants you to be obedient to, unless you get to know him. And so we have to spend time seeking his presence, spending time reading his word, We have to spend time with other believers in a life group that's focused on having conversations that are going to grow us in our our faith, that's going to strengthen our journey with Christ and allow us to grow closer to the center of his will. So if you don't currently spend time with him every single day, I encourage you to start this week. You can start this, this afternoon if you want, or you can start tomorrow morning. But I just encourage you, if you don't already... And it's okay if you don't. I understand. We've got some people here that are still trying to figure out, God, are you real? Jesus, I don't know if I believe you yet. And that's okay. Guess what was one of the best things you can do to decide where you're at? Spend time seeking him. So spend 15 minutes a day of what I would call campfire time during this series. Spend 15 minutes a day. And if if you're looking for a place to start when it comes to reading the Bible... As I said, Mark is a, is a book of power and action. We're in the summertime, you know, lots of movies are all these big blockbusters that are full of power and action. Start in Mark. You're not going to get bored reading through Mark. There's a lot of stuff that happens there. Again, you'll never know God's commands unless you spend time seeking them. 15 minutes a day will change your life. So why else is campfire time so important? Campfire time gives God our undivided attention. 
That's the second thing we have to really hold on to today. If we want to make the most of our relationship with God, there has to be moments where we give him our undivided attention. I'm going to jump back to Mark, this time in chapter 6. And just to kind of catch you up, again, like I said, there's a lot of action that happens in Mark. Let me describe what's going on in Mark 6. Jesus has been teaching all over the region. He's been in many towns. And like I said, teaching is not easy. Teaching is something that drains you. But he's been all over. He's teaching in the villages. He recently sent out the disciples two by two to go and start preaching the good news and reach even more people. In the, in the midst of all of this, uh, Jesus, one of his close friends, John the Baptist, is killed. So he's dealing with all of that. The disciples return from being sent out, and they're just on fire. They're, they're just so excited about what God did, what he allowed them to do, what he empowered them to do. Then, because of this, and, and Jesus knows the, the power and the, the, the importance of rest, he says, okay, we need to get it in a boat. We need to head across the water. Well... While they're doing that, people see Jesus. People see him and his disciples, and they want to go be with him. So before they can even get across the lake, there's a crowd of people waiting for him that ran around the edge of the lake, okay? The winds must not have been very strong that day because the boat didn't beat them over there. They ran around the edge of the lake, and they, they meet him there. So what happens? Jesus starts teaching again. And then we see the miracle because they, they were hungry, and they needed to be fed. So what's Jesus do? He takes five loaves of bread, two fish, and feeds 5,000 men and their families. After that, he sends the families home. He sends the disciples back out on the boat. They encounter a storm. He is basically like, okay, I I guess I better go help them out. And so he walks out on water, which is pretty cool, okay? And he calms the storm. And from there is where we're going to pick up and find kind of the rest of the story. Read, we're going to read verses 53 through 56 in Mark chapter 6. It says this, So after they, the storm's been calmed, they get across the lake. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people, again, the people recognized Jesus at once. And they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. People from all over are coming to meet Jesus, just to even try to touch his robe. Imagine all the towns around Kearney, or all the towns around North Platte, you know, converging on this town, this place where Jesus is, because they want to see healing happen. They want to have demons cast out. They want to hear from the Son of God. How did Jesus handle all of this pressure? How did he not reach the point of just being burnt out and empty? The answer really is found in two verses. We're going to jump back to Mark 6, verse 31. So this is after... This is after the, the disciples have come back. They've been out. They've been going door to door and spreading the good news. What does Jesus do? He says, then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest for a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. If you're like me, you've experienced this before. 
As we were planting North Platte, the location there, there were many days where I didn't have time to eat because we had so much going on. But what does Jesus say? We're going to get in the boat and we're going to go rest. We're going to get in the boat. Now, did Jesus know that the people were going to be on the other side of the lake? Absolutely. And maybe that's why it took them so long to get to the other side before, you know, they, and allowed enough time for everybody to get there because they were resting. They were taking time to connect in community. One of the other things that we learn, let's take a look at verse 46 then. So this is again then after he's fed the 5,000 men and their families, what does he do? He says after telling everyone goodbye, he had sent the disciples out on the boat again. He's sending all the families home. What does Jesus do? Again, after an incredibly long day of ministry, of loving people, healing people, teaching people, he went up into the hills by himself. To pray. You see, Jesus was intentional. He wasn't just waiting for life to slow down. He knew that it was never going to slow down. He wasn't letting his surroundings dictate whether or not he spent time with God. Jesus wasn't letting the busyness of doing all these amazing things keep him from time with God. He carved out time. He took advantage of opportunities Just to give you an idea of how late it was when he went out to the disciples, the Bible tells us that he walked out on the water to the disciples at 3 a.m. He'd spent some quality time with God. He had spent some quality time around the campfire. Yet, we oftentimes come up with a million reasons why we can't spend time with God. Why we can't gather around God's campfire. We're too, you know, too tired, or we got too many things going on. Let me ask you this. I want you real quick to imagine that Jesus is sitting next to you, okay? Not that your spouse or your friend is Jesus, but Jesus is sitting next to you right now, and he invites you to lunch after this service, you and him, or maybe you and your family and Jesus. If Christ invited you to go to lunch today, I'm pretty sure you're not going to turn him down. I'm pretty sure you're not going to come up with a million excuses as to why you can't go, that you know, of things that are maybe more important than being with him. I also go out on a limb to say you're probably not going to be on your phone the whole time, looking down, texting. Now, you may be trying to take selfies with Jesus, or you may be trying to post and say, hey guys, I'm at lunch with Jesus. Okay, I get that, but he's going to have your undivided attention. You're not going to be trying to do a million things at once. Stay-at-home moms or just moms in general, that might be a challenge for you. You're probably just going to want to sit there and talk and listen to Jesus. You're not going to be doing a million things. You're not going to be multitasking. Multitasking, you're going to give Jesus your undivided attention. So how do we ensure that we can do this? How do we ensure that we can give God our undivided attention? You have to protect your campfire time. You also have to take your campfire time whenever you can get it. Yesterday, we were having a birthday party for my daughter, Zion, who is turning one today. Uh, Happy birthday, Zion. I know you're in the nursery and won't ever hear this, but anyway. um, And before that, there was like this calm before the storm. My two kids were sleeping. My wife went to the store to get a few things. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to seize the moment. I'm going to spend some time at the campfire. I sat out on our, our patio in the back. 
read through a devotion, spent some time reading the word. I spent some time in prayer and then listened to some music, uh, some worship music. And God used that time in big ways. And I, I could tell you about it, but that's not the point of, of this message or this illustration. It's God will, God will pursue you when you pursue him. He will help you maximize any time that you intentionally carve out to pursue him. The other thing that I would say is, you know, if you want to protect your time, it may mean getting up early. Nobody's probably calling you and bothering you or emailing you or texting you at 5.30, 6 o'clock. It's different for, for many of you, but you may have to sacrifice a little bit and get up to be intentional about a time before the sunrise, as Jesus did, so that you don't have the interruptions that you know will come. The last thing would just be take a Sabbath. Rest, just as God told us to. I like to say that you're not at your best unless you take time to rest. Even God, as powerful and as almighty as he is, gave us the perfect example. After he created the world, what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. None of us are as, as busy or as in demand as God, but yet he still took time to rest. We should too. We should too. And this brings me to the last point. How does campfire time help us to avoid the traps of busyness? It reminds us that we are better together. One of the worst things that busyness can do is isolate you. Where you're around people all the time, but you're never with them. And campfire time reminds us that we're better together. I love what Proverbs has to say. Chapter 2, verse 20 of the message translation says, So join the company of good men and women. Keep your feet on the tried and true paths. It's the men who walk straight who will settle this land. The women with integrity who will last here. All of us can benefit from having the men who walk straight and the women with integrity in our lives. We can all benefit from having those types of men and women sitting around the campfire with us. Busyness calls us and tries to get us doing all things. And like I said, it can isolate us. And isolation is never good. But if you look at the example of Jesus, he intentionally spent time with his disciples. I like to think of them as the, the first true life group, Jesus and the disciples. If anyone was capable of living life alone and disconnected and didn't need other people, that would have been Jesus. But he didn't live that way. So we shouldn't either. It's not a coincidence that the number one factor in church satisfaction and spiritual growth is the number of close Christian friendships that you have. If you're in close Christian friendships with many people in a life group, in the medium-sized campfire at young adult events or at legacy events or on Wednesday nights, you're going to be satisfied with your church. You're also going to be growing because you're going to have other people holding you accountable, encouraging you, challenging you. Busyness can give you this mentality that you have to do everything yourself. And that's what the enemy wants. But life in community with other believers is encouraging. It's more enjoyable. It's refreshing. I, as I mentioned, you know, summer blockbusters, one of my favorite movies or movie characters is Indiana Jones. And what did he carry around with into the darkness? He carried around a torch. He carried around this big stick with cloth wrapped around it that was on fire. 
When we gather around the campfire, it's as if we have a torch that we get to light. With God's spirit, with God's you know, passion for us. We get to light our torch, and it's easier to light your torch in the camaraderie of, camaraderie of other people doing the same thing. We can take the torch then when we leave the campfire and in this world of darkness that seems to be growing darker and darker every day, you've got the light of Jesus with you. And you can take that to other people. We just have to remember that eventually, if we stay away from the campfire, our torch is going to burn out. You have to come back to the source regularly. So I want you to ask yourself, who do I sit around the campfire with? Who do I have in my life that makes me a better version of myself, that encourages me, that holds me accountable, that I can go to if I have any issue or problem or question? Who is close to you at the campfire helping you make sure that your torch stays lit? Who do you need to grab coffee with this week? Or if you're not a coffee drinker like me, who do you need to invite over to barbecue with? Life groups are going to start up in about a month. Who Who are you going to join in life group with? If you're already in a life group and you know where you're going, who are you going to invite to come sit around your campfire with you? Lastly, I want to take you all the way back to my Cub Scout trip, my first camping experience, one of the the lasting memories there. It was the first time I ever got to wake up the morning after sitting around a campfire and I could still smell the campfire. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced that. Or maybe it doesn't happen right away, but it's when you get home and you're in a a setting that wasn't around the campfire and you get to smell it. You get to remember what happened. It brings back memories and thoughts and ideas that took place around the campfire. Do you have the aroma of Christ? Do you have that aroma that one is going to remind you that you have a Savior? that you've got a God looking out for you? Do you have the aroma that other people are going to smell and think, man, I want to be where you've been. I want to be around the campfire with you. The good news today, guys, if you're sitting there thinking, I don't have the aroma of Christ. I haven't been around the campfire. You're around the campfire right now. And you have an opportunity at all of our venues here in just a moment to press into God to get closer to the campfire and get more of his aroma in your life. What step are you going to take? Are you going to sit and just be going through the motions? Or are you going to lean into him? Our altars at every venue are for the hungry. If you feel like you need to pursue him in a physical way where you're going to go to an altar, then go to an altar. Spend time at the campfire, lighting your torch and getting the aroma of Christ into your very being. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father, today we come to you in awe of who you are. We thank you that you allow us into your presence. God, you are faithful. And as we seek you today, we know that we can find you because that's what your word tells us. Help us in our quest to quiet the busyness in our lives so that we can hear from you. Help us as we strive to be obedient to your commands. Let us value your commands above any demands the world may throw our way. As we lean into you during worship today and and during our campfire time throughout this week, God, light our torches so that we may take your light into our communities, 
Fill our lives with the aroma that only comes from you. Let our lives point people to you. Lord, we need you. More than anything else in this world, we need you. Meet with us today as we, as we sing to you, as we raise our hands in worship, as we pursue you at an altar, God. Fill our hearts. Fan into flame a passion for you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.